This is Science Networkers. My name is Miranda Stahn. My co-host is Pooja Bhatti. We are launching Season 2 of Science Networkers. have really leveled up to pun one of our past events. So I'm excited. Like we have an amazing interview uh, that you'll be able to hear here shortly and ah, just warm fuzzies. (laughs) Absolutely. This interview is an openly queer woman and she's a queer immigrant Uh, immigrating from India, where my family's from. So you will hear me getting emotional, me getting excited, me getting passionate, probably the most passionate I've ever been on the podcast, because this is the first time, you know, in, in many ways, I felt represented as an Indian woman. We chatted with Dr. Devyani Singh, who is a scientist who studied energy and climate policy. She was a candidate in the recent BC provincial elections running uh, as a Green Party candidate. And she is phenomenal. So, so, so this, so Science Networkers was inspired by uh, Miranda and I, we work, we volunteer with another organization called Science Slam Canada, mm-hmm. and which we were planning an event and Miranda and I were both interdisciplinary. We've studied multiple things. And one of the things we had in common is that we both studied sciences, but were working in HR. Uh, somehow, <laughs> just it just kind of happens like that sometimes. And it was suggested to us that, you know, it, it might be cool to combine those disciplines to create career resources for people in science communication Mm -hmm. because people who want to enter that field sometimes don't know what what that is what is science communication how do I enter that field how do I network who are people that I can look up to and we thought okay sure we'll we'll plan this we'll 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 throw something together why not it was the summertime it was a pandemic we had some time And so we put together a panel and the response was quite overwhelming, where a lot of people were saying that there's nothing like this. We want more resources. We want to hear from more science communicators. Mm -hmm. Can you keep this going? And so then we decided, okay, uh, let's let's try to let's try to offer uh, something more to the world. So that's kind of what inspired Science Networkers. And since then, we have our podcast, uh, which we've done a first season and we've had a couple events, and with February being uh, February 11th is International Day of Women and Girls in Science, we thought this would be a perfect time to have a panel that focuses uh, primarily on phenomenal women in STEM. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons why we called you to chat with us today. Well, thanks. I'm honored. I uh, I didn't know I can inspire people. <laughs> I do have to say, like from a pers- from a personal standpoint, like this is like I was getting emotional before this interview because, as an Indian woman, I have struggled to to see myself represented in the different things that I'm involved in. I feel like the only time I feel represented is maybe in Bollywood movies, but you know my parents are immigrants and we've had to adjust living in Canada. And when I saw you on Twitter and I see you wearing like 
traditional Indian outfits and you're proud of, uh, you know, being Indian. And that to me was amazing. And I'm like, I need to talk to her one day. Like I want her on our podcast. I want her at an event. So you're, you're really a role model and inspiration to me because it's, you know, it, it means a lot as an Indian woman from one to another. So thank you for doing what you do. And I apologize for getting really sappy and emotional. But... No, and once the pandemic's over or even not, like we should go for a distant uh, coffee walk or something. But uh, like you said, thanks for doing what I do. I only started doing it because as a climate scientist, I'm freaking out about the fate of this planet. <laughs> so that's really what got me to get into it. Yeah, and I think there's an important message to be had here where in science communication, a lot of the trends are very similar to academia, where the field to an extent is saturated by white males. And no offense, there are some amazing science communicators out there who meet that stereotype. There's Jay Ingram, there's like Chris Hadfield, there's some amazing communicators, but it's really hard to get representation and voices out there, which really impacts the kind of science that is being communicated. So like things like climate change or women's issues, like there's a very different perspective that having a cultural or I guess different sexual background can bring to that. And that's where this month's panel is going to be so interesting and voices like yours are going to be so important because journalism and communication is very much still seen as a boys club and it's it's time we slay those stereotypes. I totally agree. Down with patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> So basically the point of, of these episodes is we are interviewing with, with um, all of our panelists to kind of give uh, people that want to attend our event at the end of the month a little sneak peek on who you are and what you do and what you're looking forward uh, mm -hmm. in our panel. So it's going to be quite a short conversation, but we're so excited. So shall we just get into it? Yeah, sure. Awesome. So you know, we were kind of getting started on this, but tell us a bit about the work you do in the SciComm community. Yeah, um, so when it comes to science communication, that's something I came upon not too long ago, probably like um, over, just over a year ago. And how I got into it was really as a climate scientist and sitting, you know, writing our papers. And science is great, don't get me wrong. We, you know, it's good research and I love doing research. And the problem is when we publish these papers, half of the time they just sit there and nobody really reads them. But for people like the kind of research I do, which is so policy relevant and results can directly and should be informing policy, uh, nobody gets to read it because policymakers, decision makers or the public uh, don't quite understand, you know, like my job as a scientist is to read these papers and I get bored reading them, even though the results are exciting for me. And so I really wanted to try to get the word out there of what is it that we're doing and trying to reach policymakers specifically in my case and, you know, get the word out, get the people uh, acting and, you know, rising up and, and contacting their elected representatives so we can get some climate action in coming years. And it kind of started with that and, you know, Twitter, I started using Twitter, started writing op-eds, I, uh, you know, been 
I have signed up for now three years in a row for Skype a scientist, which is, you know, you can sign up and it's, you know, gives you demographics and location and you can give your classrooms where you get invited, uh, you go and you give talks, well, virtually uh, to different classrooms. So I've spoken to third graders and fifth and seventh and eighth grade uh, students on climate change and what they can do and climate policy. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can be done. And uh, well, the craziest thing I did, <laughs> I don't know if it's science communication or what it is, but I uh, decided to run for elected office in October. Yes, uh, <laughs> I saw that. I was living for it. I said, you go, girl. That is amazing. You know what? Yeah. Like, that's so important. I was having a conversation, this is so timely, about a week back on how there's no scientists in government and how policy gets so lost because we're trying to explain things. Like I work for a government, fund, like a, a not-for-profit that helps fund research, but we have to go back to the government every year and pitch why research is important and we're talking to lawyers who are like well mm -hmm. how do I make money off of this there's just not enough scientists in no there isn't and it there's a lack of science and evidence-based decision making and which is we can see the results of how we are doing you know uh, around us and that was really why I ran I was like well if the politicians will continue to ignore science I'm going to take the science to them and oh, I um, <laughs> yeah, so I and I realized that, you know, in a pandemic and a snap election, it would be likely hard to get elected. But I definitely wanted to use that platform and the visibility I could use to create, you know, to raise those issues about what's happening on this planet. What why is the government not taking action and actually be able to debate the politicians, you know, uh, where media can pick it up. And you, you don't get access to this kind of these kind of resources uh, without running for office. And now I realize that, you know, there are elected MLAs in the legislature in BC and they know me. They can't just ignore me anymore as just somebody who sent them an email or called them. They now know my name. And so I can be, uh, you know, I'm hoping to use that visibility to actually uh, hopefully push for more climate action. I think that's the most strategic and like really hard hitting campaign to get people to actually answer your emails is if you're not going to read them, I'm literally going to bring them to your face. I am so for this. <laughs> I think everybody should uh, be more involved in politics, I, and whether you run or you work with your local, um, you know, representative that you believe will take action. I think it's very important. I really hear when people say, oh, I, I'm not into politics. My thing is, if you walk on the street or you eat food, it is political. Everything you do is based on political decisions. How much you pay, the taxes, are there sidewalks on the streets? These are all political decisions. And so politics impacts every bit of your life, and especially for somebody like, you know, Pooja or, or me, like, you know, as a, I'm an immigrant person, woman of color, and I'm queer. Politics really impacts my daily life. And so I think it's, we should all be more active in communication and in policy. I completely agree 100%. And, you know, I remember watching the show and this person was saying, you know, it was, it's a little bit for a younger audience and, uh, but I watched it anyway. And they were, and the person was like, oh, I'm not political. And his teacher said, if you have a heart, 
you're political. And if you don't have a heart, you're a jellyfish. Like this is for everybody. And it's, it's so interesting because that, to me, that is science communication. One of the biggest things that we talk about is that science communication does not look one way. If you're getting mm-hmm. the message across to people, you you are communicating science because there is an audience for everything. And I think what you did, it it's so inspiring and it's so amazing. And yes, pe- people need to stop saying I'm not interested. I don't need to get into politics. No. No. So I'm glad I'm glad that that's really being emphasized because that is such an important message. I think it is. And and when it comes to the general public, like I think science communication, I according to me, I put it down into two categories. One is with the general public to raise awareness and tell them the kind of work you're doing and that science is really cool and kind of get them excited about science. So, and, you know, kind of like be a role model for, you know, women, younger, young girls who probably want to become scientists or go into STEM. Now they have role models. Like, frankly, when I was growing up in India, I had no, there were no role models that I could look up to either as a woman, an Indian woman, or especially as a queer person, Um, you know, and, so it's very important like to create that visibility and communicate the science to the young so they get excited about it. And then the second part is about, as we were saying, communicating that science to policy and ensuring in some way or another that policymakers, decision makers pay attention to this. And we need to be able to communicate it to them in a way they understand. You know, frankly, no elected official has the time, energy, or the expertise to sit and go go through 500 scientific papers to find four points that they should, you know, put into policy. I feel it is our job as scientists, when we do the science, to disseminate the results to the public and in a format to policymakers saying, this is the, you know, X, Y, Z, these are the results, and this is how they translate into policy actions. And I think it is our job. And as scientists, we have failed so far to do that step. I think we've gotten better with the public. But when it comes to policy, we are lacking. We are lagging behind because there's still this culture in academia that if you promote your science or advocate your science, you are biased. And I don't agree with that. I couldn't agree more. Um, I was giving a workshop yesterday to young and new grad students presenting to conferences for the first time. And the one message that I really tried to pound into them was your science is only as good as you promote it and that you could make a noble award, like noble prize winning physics discovery. But if you can't tell the world that it's worthy of being heard, it's just going to get lost behind a paywall. Exactly. And I realized I didn't want to be that scientist who published for the sake of publishing and somebody else in the next paper says X, Y, Z work has been done by Singh et al. And then continue on to their research. Uh, I know that I, A, I only do policy relevant science because I'm very passionate about, you know, uh, working in this policy cycle, but B, it's my job to communicate that science out there. So uh, during my PhD, for example, I created this model, uh, which was about getting clean cooking access, um, you know, understanding the impacts on climate of getting clean cooking access to households in India. And it's kind of here we think it's not a big deal, but three, almost three billion uh, people around house uh, people around the world cook on open fire every day, you know, and 
that has huge impacts on forests and climate. And so we created this model and we spoke about it a lot such that we actually ended up being contacted by the uh, Ministry of Petroleum uh, in India uh, to actually analyze the climate impact of their national policy, Ujwala, which was being, which has been undergoing and has been massive uh, to get, you know, LPG, uh, liquefied petroleum gas access to 80 million households. So if we didn't speak about it, there is no way the Indian government would know I have created this model to understand the climatic impact of a policy they were, you know, conduct that was going on. So it is our job to get our word out because what's, I truly feel, what's the point of doing science if we can't apply it to real life and can't help, you know, decisions? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's also so much more important that women in science speak up and people of different races and and you know you don't have to be that the one we were talking about a stereotypical white male speaking about this everybody needs to speak about this because like I was saying before I didn't see myself represented and I saw you on Twitter and I felt okay I'm finally being represented and if, if she can do this amazing stuff maybe I can too and as more of us speak up that's what's going to help younger generations and different people feel that I have a voice and I can say something. It, it's not, it doesn't just have to come from one kind of person's mouth. So I, it's, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I hope that more people kind of lead with that same passion. And I think this segues nicely into our next question is as a woman in STEM, or maybe more personally as a queer woman in STEM, how, what opportunity do you think you have to give your voice and make an impact as someone who's underrepresented? How, how do you feel it gives you a unique opportunity to connect with the next generation of scientists who are coming up into the university system? Yeah, and that's, uh, it's a very good question. And as I had mentioned earlier, growing up, I, I did not, you know, like we said, even she didn't feel represented, uh, represented. And I've never found that. And, so I'm the one thing I want to do is use this platform to try to have visibility. And, you know, it's you want diversity. I joke like, you know, I pack it in, you know, as an immigrant woman of color who's queer. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, people can see that, that the more I communicate, the more the word gets out that somebody like me, who when I was young, never thought I could be a scientist or successful in uh, science communication, that. I can reach them. And um, when it comes to representing, actually, there's like one million women in STEM. There's 500 queer scientists. So there are some of these websites and organizations that are not really trying to uh, promote this diversity in science. And it is very important. As you said, you know, when people think of a scientist, even today, you go to schools, they think of a white male in a lab coat. They do not think that it, it is a woman of color or you don't, I've never worn a lab coat. My research is done in the field. And so I feel people traditionally, uh, the way society has been, has ended up really, you know, making that old, like scraggly hair, white male doing some science in a lab. And it is very important for us to, because there's amazing women scientists out there and queer scientists out there. We need to, change that perception. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, 
especially in terms of giving exposure to queer scientists. Like I have friends in that space and it science, particularly engineering is such a like chauvinistic game that they, they almost felt ashamed who they were in that environment. And I think getting over those mindsets, just, it comes down to representation and really teaching people what a scientist looks like and that there isn't a definition to it. Exactly. And you're totally right. And one is the representation to the people. The other is just organizational change because we live in a very heteronormative society. And as a queer person, I feel very awkward in most spaces, which are made, like I said, to this heteronormative structure for, you know, when we go to events, it's always like your partner, like, you know, it's assumed it's a guy or if it's a guy, it's assumed it's a female partner that you have at events and things. So it's not just about creating representation for the next generation. I think it's also about normalizing that, you know, we need to change the status quo and that isn't working for everybody. And it, you know, hampers us. Like, I feel, I felt, uh, you know, when I first got into this field, really left out and I hid who I was because I thought that would impact me and my career. So I think it's about creating visibility for the young generation, but also showing that the status quo or the stereotype is not right. And there's many other people out there doing the same thing. Absolutely. And it's, I I love that we're having this conversation and it makes me so much more excited for the panel because these are things we we need to talk about. And I think sometimes people are, they're, they're scared to talk about topics like these. They're scared to talk about representation. And, you know, if there's anything that we've learned this summer, this year, we need to have these conversations. We, you know, we can't just ignore this, sweep this under the rug and it's not a big deal. It is. And I, I think having these conversations and I, I, that's why, especially when I, I saw when you were running for, for the election and I'm like, I, I need to see more people like this running. And again, maybe it'll inspire others. And it's, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation and I'm, I'm hoping people will listen and they'll start having conversations, not even just with their peers, but with their families. And, and I hope like, Mm -hmm. I, I like, more Indian people also need to have these conversations because, you know, sometimes it's, or people of other races because Divyani, like I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate sometimes even, even in our households. Oh, let's not, let's not go there. Let's not, but no, we need to. And I think this is a fantastic stuff that, you know, I I agree in my own household. um, You know, my being queer is not spoken about. It's like a don't ask, don't tell. Uh, running for election definitely was a way to come out because I ran as an openly queer candidate. Uh, but that part was never mentioned. They said they were happy with me running for election, followed me closely, but that queer word was never once mentioned. And I don't think it ever will. Um, you know, and like you said, I think especially in Indian families, although my family still lives in India, so they're surrounded by a very different uh, group. But you're right. It's about having these conversations at every level. And I think one of those things was when I was scared, I was scared to come out as queer myself because I, the lack of representation made me think if people know I'm queer, I'll never be successful in my career. Wow. And 
yeah, it took me at least 15 years. In fact, in the U.S., I had to quit uh, when um, my supervisor, this was when I was working in corporate America, one of the reasons I left uh, my previous business life, because they were not okay with me being queer. And in the U.S., in that state at that time, I'm not going to mention what it was, but I was not protected for my sexual identity, right? And so after I had that experience, I always hid my sexuality at work until I ended up with amazing co-supervisors at UBC and in Vancouver and in Canada. So it was like the safest bubble you could ever find to be queer. And I got okay with it. I think that's important to say because, especially in Canada, I know we look at the states and we look at like, oh, but they're so similar to us on one aspect. And then on the other hand, we follow up with the comment that we're not that bad. But it's important to acknowledge that being queer in some workplaces in the States, and I don't want to specify, but probably within a certain province in Canada, would not be acceptable. And it's just, it floors me to think that that was something you had to go through in the 20th century, like, or 21st century. Where are we now? What is time? (laughs) But it's important to acknowledge that these are still things that are impacting society and that we aren't at equal rights for all people of all races, of all orientations, of all sexualities, and that it's really time to start addressing these issues. And it starts with conversation. It does. And I think, you know, while we've been very good in raising visibility in terms of queer people and our existence, I think we've not done a very good job of our visibility in specific like disciplines like science or in other cases right like uh we need to like i said normalize that queer people can be and are scientists women of color can and are scientists and we are good at what we do i agree and i think that's so important because i have a friend who was an engineer by trade and then moved into the arts through a series of wonderful circumstances and he said it was once he got into the arts like being queer wasn't an issue. It was almost commonplace. So it's time to evolve the thinking of scientists and the thinking of the field of science and academia to almost bring it up to speed. It's it's very dated. It's like my supervisor said, he's like, academia is great, but sometimes it's like a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it is, it is living in an old era and We need to catch up. But thank you so much for sharing that story because that, you know, it, it sounds absolutely terrible and it's like, it, it makes me so sad to think that you went through that. But I think stories like that need to be told. People need to recognize that this, this existed. And unfortunately this still exists and it's not okay and I'm, I'm really glad that you're in a space now where you can be who you are, which is this phenomenal woman who I know inspires so many and is doing fantastic work and who we and I know others are so excited to hear from. Uh, so, but I, I really appreciate you you opening up and sharing that story with us. So thank you. because that's Again, I think for me, it's about creating visibility, right? Like, and it's all my experiences that have brought me here. 
You know, it's my experiences as an immigrant, experiences as a queer person, good or bad, you know, experiences as a woman. And that goes into my science as well, right? We inform science from certain lenses. And, you know, when my PhD research would have been so different had I not understood the setting and the context of my research because I grew up in India, in the Indian Himalayas, you know? So I feel like our, you know, diversity brings a perspective to academia that wouldn't exist otherwise. And it's very important for us to communicate that. I couldn't agree more. And I guess on the note of perspectives, I guess flash forwarding ahead to our panel here at the end of the month, what do you hope people get out of this panel? What message do you hope you can send to them? I mean, I don't know who would be attending, but I think one of the messages is that, you know, we are all capable scientists and we are capable of science communication and that we need to do more if we want to see real change. And just being a diverse person in academia isn't enough to create diversity or to inspire people or to actually have, you know, see see change in terms of action, be it in politics or be it, you know, for certain laws that exist or, you know, status quo in society. And we need to be advocates of our research. We need to be advocates of ourselves and our experiences uh, to create change. And I hope that the people who attend this uh, panel uh, at the end of the month can uh, really get some tips and ideas and be inspired to go ahead and create change and be loud and vocal uh, proponents of the work they do in society. That was really beautifully put. I, I love especially you saying that it's not it's not enough to just be present. It's not enough to just be that representation. You actually have to do the work and you have to speak up and you have to put yourself out there. And you know, I I'm really excited for, for the end of the month. I think we're gonna have some great conversation. Uh with both uh, you know, this is a female focused panel, but we hope both women, men, and non-binary. We hope that everybody comes and listens to what you and the other panelists have to say and that we have some really great conversation and spark some inspiration. Yes, and thank you for doing this because I think it begins with you providing a space for people like me to be able to get my word out as well. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that you are you have these sessions and these panels. You know, it's mutual, like we can create a space for voices to be heard, but it's having voices willing to come share their stories that make these panels so meaningful. For us, like we've been doing this for maybe about, what is it, maybe like five, six months. We're still, you know, we're still quite a baby initiative and it's it's people like you that, that encourages us, that makes us feel like we're doing something that's important and makes us excited. So, you know, we like, thank you so much for speaking with us today and for, you know, at the end of the month, being a part of the panel and um, hanging out with us. And I'm, I'm so excited. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you'll join us for our live event on February 28th. 
If you miss it, don't worry. Like past events, we'll wrap it up into a podcast episode for you to listen to while driving, working out, or doing your dishes. In the interim, stay tuned to the Sci Networker socials on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram to get all the latest information about what we're planning for the future. Finally, do us a dear and please rate and review our podcast episode. The best way you can support creators during this frivolous and difficult and whatever time we're living in is to give them a review and that does more than wonders in helping us get our content out there. So thank you for your devoted listenership and I hope you all have a fantastic evening.